Our Father, we pray that, that those words in Psalm 33 would be true for us tonight, that we wait in hope for the Lord. You are our help and our shield. In you our hearts rejoice, for we trust in your holy name. And so may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen. Uh, Well, I don't know when you were learning to drive, maybe you're not there yet, whether you learnt to drive in a manual. It's becoming a rare skill these days and it's a good test of who's really up for a challenge. Um, When you're learning to drive a manual, one of the key things is to get, you know, the clutch right so that you're not crunching the gears and when you crunch the gears you kind of lose your momentum and it feels really awkward and difficult and uh, you kind of grit your teeth in a funny way as you try to find the gear again. And I wonder if when you, a little bit earlier in the service tonight, whether you kind of gritted your teeth in a funny way and felt like we crunched the gears when we were saying the Apostles' Creed. It can seem like a really odd thing to do. It's different to kind of other parts of the service uh, and other parts of church life. Uh, Even more so, I mean, everything in church might feel weird to you, but that bit maybe felt even more weird. It's hard to judge how much weirdness there is in church sometimes. Um, I think sometimes it can feel like crunching the gears. You've lost the momentum. What, What are we doing here? And you grit your teeth in a funny way and then you get going again. It's a little bit like a break. And we've had this weird break where we've kind of tipped our hat to some truths, these statements of what we believe. And it can feel like we've done that just to tick a box. Yes, I intellectually assent to these lines. And now that we've done that, we're all on the same page, we can keep going again now that we've found the right gear. But I want us to think tonight about the fact that when we are affirming the truths of the creed, when we're saying what it is from the Bible that Christians believe, we're not simply performing an intellectual ritual, we're doing something that's thoroughly relational. Maybe it doesn't feel relational because we don't do it right or something, but we need to think I, in, in terms of relationship when we we think about all aspects of what we do when we gather together. Because what we're doing in church, in being church, in singing and praying, in hearing God's word, even in the hearing now, you might feel like you're not doing anything, but you're doing something relational. When we affirm the creed, when we stand up and we say these summary statements, this like summary of what Christians believe, we're doing something thoroughly relational. And one of the key reasons why we're doing something thoroughly relational when we affirm what we believe is because what we're affirming is the God in whom we believe. We're affirming who it is that God has said he is. And because he is relational, because he is personal, as we declare and affirm what it is that he has said about himself from his word, We're doing something thoroughly relational, thoroughly personal, not simply something that's intellectual. And so what I want us to do is to wrestle together tonight and maybe just sit with 
the very fact that when we start to affirm the truths of the Bible summarised in the creed, that we're bringing that the relational as well as the intellectual. We are saying things, we are thinking things, but it's a, it's a relational activity. One of the things that uh, J.I. Packer, who has already got a big run in this series and is going to keep getting a big run, which makes you want to kind of go and read what he writes, Jim Packer says that uh, faith, believing something, it is a thoroughly relational thing to do. Uh, It is relational and intellectual. As the combined voices of God's gathered people affirm their faith in the words of the creed, it is a relational and a personal activity because the God we believe in is relational and is personal. And he's not simply relational and personal in some of the things that he does or says. He is relational and personal all the way down to the very centre of who he is and how he acts towards us. Uh, When we're saying the creed, we're saying these big picture truths of the Christian faith, affirming that we're in this together, affirming that this is how Christians have always said it, affirming even that I don't fully understand all these things yet but I'm willing to kind of come to God with it and say I'm going to trust in what he has said with my brothers and sisters around me. We're doing something thoroughly relational. And it all makes sense because the God of the creed, who is the God of the Bible, is thoroughly relational and personal. So you might be um, happy or sad or excited, I don't know, to hear that we're still in the first line of the creed tonight. We're three weeks in and we've kind of, we're going back and thinking about the very first words, right? Uh, because we want to think long, we want to linger and go deep and think deeply about God. Uh, God, who is God the Father Almighty. And when we, start, when we start the creed, those very first words, they are big, they are deep, they are relational and personal words because of the God who has spoken, the God that we're believing in, that we're trusting, that we're listening to, the God that we respond to is a very relational and personal God. Uh, I wonder if you've ever tried to explain God to someone uh, you know, maybe a kid or a classroom of kids, maybe you've tried to teach Sunday school, maybe you've just had a really interesting conversation with a friend where you're trying to kind of articulate who is God. And I just, as you stop for a second, think, where would you start? Where would you start? Well, it's interesting, when God rescues his people from Egypt and we have the book of Exodus, he's gathered his people, whom he's rescued and he's made his people and he reveals himself to Moses. And so we don't have to guess about how to describe God, how to explain him, because he explains himself. And when he does so, he does it in very relational and personal terms. So what is it as God reveals himself to his people as he speaks to make himself known, what is it that he wants to communicate about himself to the world? 
What words does he use to describe his character, who he is all the way down? And this is how he says it in Exodus 34. Exodus 34. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That's how God reveals himself. In those very relational and personal categories, he's the compassionate God, the faithful God, the loving God, the forgiving God. That's who he is all the way down. He is personal and he is relational. He's the God who makes promises and keeps them. He's the God who's in the very business of showing compassion and giving forgiveness to those who don't deserve it. And it's an amazing reality that this is who God is at his very centre. That at the, at the heart of the universe, the God who's in charge of all things, the source, the fount, the the um, the sustainer of all things, the one in control of every breath you take, of every revolution of this planet, the one who placed every star in its place, the one who, Psalm 33 says, gathers the waters of the earth. Think about how much water that is. The one who's in control of all things. He is not some distant force. He's not an impersonal deity. He's not an impersonal distant force to be reckoned with. No, at his very core, at the centre of the universe, is a God who is personal and who is relational, which is why he's a God who wants to be related to. He wants to be known. He wants to be enjoyed. He wants to be loved. That's who sits at the very centre of the universe. And one of the enormous and amazing realities of being a Christian, one of the things that's unique to Christianity, is the truth that we affirm in the very first line of the creed that we believe in God the Father, a relational, a personal God at the very centre of everything. And so it's an enormous privilege, isn't it? It's an unspeakable joy that the God at the centre of the universe who upholds all things by his powerful word, who made everything, the source and author and sustainer of all things says, call me Father. Know me as Father. With all the privileges that that involves, with all the intimacy and the protection and the security and the comfort that that's meant to invoke in us, that we know is meant to be part of what an ultimate father is like, someone who provides and who protects and who brings safety and comfort. The God of the universe says, that's who I am. And that's all the way through the Bible. The prophet Hosea says that God calls his um, 
people Israel out of Egypt like a father calling his son. Psalm 103 says that God's compassionate forgiveness is that like of, of like a, a father for his children. And the New Testament tells us that the God of the Bible is none other than the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we, we thought about last week, didn't we? And Andrew Leslie helped us so well to think about the fact that at the very centre of the universe is a God of relationship who is himself a community of love, the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And so when we say that we believe in God the Father... Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you see the order of those things? So as you think about how you would explain God to people, often I think I would start with, oh, God is the creator. That seems like a logical place to start. It's kind of where the Bible starts, right? But that's not actually the first thing to say about God. Because before he was the creator, he was already the father. In eternity past, God the Father loved the Son in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's at the very centre of who God is, a God of relationship, a God of love, a God who is personal in nature, which is why the fundamental reality of being human is that we are meant to know this God. We're not just meant to go around to kind of enjoying the things that he's done, the kind of house that he's given us to live in, this world, the the kind of reality of being people. We're not just meant to take what he's done and kind of do our own thing. The fundamental reality of being human is that we're meant to know ourselves in relation to the God who is Father, Son and Spirit, who has given us life, who longs to be known and enjoyed and depended upon by his children. One of the great places to think about what it means for God to be your Heavenly Father Uh, what that relationship looks like is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 to 7, right? One of Jesus' long teaching blocks where we get to hear his words and he uh, speaks about what it means to know God as Father. To know God as Father means that he knows you intimately. He knows how many hairs are on your head, that he delights in who you are. He cares about what you do with your life. He cares about what happens to you. He cares about the choices and decisions that you make. He cares about your money. He cares cares about your thoughts. He cares about your actions. He is the ultimate loving father. And as Jesus reveals what it looks like to know God as father, to to want to be like him, to look up to him, to to honour him, to enjoy him, because he knows and loves and enjoys you. One of the things that, God, uh, that Jesus says is the, the logical, natural, obvious outworking of that is that if God, our Father, wants to be known and delighted in and trusted and obeyed, then the most obvious thing in the world is to pray to him 
in great dependence and faith, knowing that he delights to hear your prayers and respond, that he delights to be your father, that when you come before him, when you come to church or when you pray or when you go about the Christian life, you're not doing it in in order to kind of twist his arm into being kind and gracious to you. You're not trying to sort of be noticed but you're delighting in the Father who, who loves to know you and provide for you and care for you because that's what the perfect Father does. And so the knowing God as Father will mean a posture, a life that is prayerfully dependent on his provision and his protection and his care. Uh, my kids would probably tell you that I say no a lot. Probably feels like a lot to them. Uh, but what might not be as obvious to them all the time, but is obvious to me, is that I delight to give them things. You know, just seeing the joy on their face when they open a present, to see the joy on their face when you say you're going for ice cream or when you're able to to give them something significant, or just to to sit with them and watch a movie, to give them the gift of being present and enjoying life together. And that's one of the great joys and pleasures and privileges of being a father, to be able to give things to my children, to provide for them, to give them comfort and security. But one of the heartaches too of being a father is when I can't do that. So one of the moments in my life that's like tattooed on my brain was years and years ago when uh, one of my sons in the middle of the night couldn't breathe. And I remember holding him as a little baby in my arms in the ambulance going to the hospital. And so here's this picture, right? All the love in the world. You know, you couldn't, I couldn't have been more full of love and the desire to provide for and protect him at this moment. But what I couldn't do is match my love and my desire with the power to do anything. I couldn't help him. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't do anything except hold him in the ambulance and pray. And so here's the next extraordinary thing about knowing God as our Heavenly Father, the ultimate Father who delights to give good gifts, who delights to be known, who delights to to provide for and, and, and give to his children grace and forgiveness and the provision of our daily bread, is that you combine that infinite love with the infinite power to follow through with everything. And so that he can provide for and protect and bring comfort and security in an infinite and eternal way that I could never do for my children. And isn't that a wonderful thing to know that those two things come together in the person of of God? Not simply the loving Father who wants to provide and protect and give comfort and security. But he is the almighty father 
the one who has nothing outside of his control, the one for whom nothing is impossible. And it's an extraordinary thing to know from the Bible that that's the God who calls us to belong to him and to say, call me Father. He's the almighty God, the one who does have all things in his control and under his care. He doesn't just love us, but he has all the power in the world to bring that love to bear on our lives. And what an extraordinary thing that when all that love and all that power come together, you see Jesus go to the cross. The fatherly goodness of God, the almighty power and love of God exerted for our salvation in order that we might be adopted into his family and know him as father. Knowing God as the personal relational father, that should give us great comfort and assurance. That should make us want to draw near to him and depend upon him and to know him more. And that that father is almighty, well, that should fill us with awe and wonder and amazement that we get to know this God, the God, as Psalm 33 says, gathers all the waters of the earth together, that he spoke and he brought everything into being, that he is the Lord who foils the plans of the nations, he is the one who thwarts the purposes of the peoples, that he is the one who's bringing history to its climax and its completion in the Lord Jesus, that there's no person or nation or family or or power in the world that can stand against his plans and his purposes. That's why we wait in hope for him. To bring all those things together in the Lord Jesus, trusting that his almightiness means that he will definitely bring about all that is promised and all that is purposed, and knowing that he is the loving Father brings us delight and great trust in who he is. Given that we're thinking about ancient words, I I dug up this quote from Hilary of Poitiers from 350 AD, who's reflecting on the fact that in the creed we call God Father, This is a long, old quote, right? So it's on the screen so you can try and follow along. But just experience this quote. See if you can sit underneath this waterfall and open your mouth. Hilary writes, It is the Father to whom all existence owes its origin. In Christ and through Christ, he is the source of all. In contrast to all else, he is self-existent. He doesn't draw his being from without, but he possesses it from himself and in himself. He is infinite, for nothing contains him, and he contains all things. He's eternally unconditioned by space, for he is illimitable, eternally anterior to time, for time is his creation. So let imagination range to what you may suppose is God's utmost limit, 
and you will find him present there. Strain as you will, there is always a further horizon towards which to strain. Infinity is his property, just as the power of making such effort is yours. Words will fail you, but his being will not be circumscribed. Or again, turn back the pages of history and you'll find him ever-present. Should numbers fail to express the antiquity to which you have penetrated, yet God's eternity is not diminished. Gird up your intellect to comprehend him as a whole and he eludes you. God as a whole has left something within your grasp, that, but this something is inextricably involved in his entirety. Thus you have missed the whole, since it's only a part which remains in your hands, nay, not even a part for your dealing with a whole which you have failed to divide. For part implies division. A whole is undivided and God is everywhere and wholly present wherever he is. Reason, therefore, cannot cope with him since no point of contemplation can be found outside himself and since eternity is eternally his. This is a true statement of the mystery of that unfathomable nature which is expressed by the name Father. God invisible, ineffable, infinite. So let us confess by our silence that words cannot describe him. Let sense admit that it's foiled in the attempt to apprehend and reason in the effort to define. Hillary, with much better words than me, says your brain is meant to hurt when you think about the nature and character of God when you're trying to grasp his almightiness, his infinity. But here's the thing. This God who overrules all things and cannot be fully comprehended makes himself known personally and relationally as your thoroughly trustworthy Heavenly Father. To know him to delight in him and you get to spend the rest of eternity knowing more and more and more of what he is like. Compassion, grace, forgiveness, life and you need eternity because that's how big he is. The Lord Jesus does something remarkable when he steps into this world. He makes God known and issues forth this extraordinary invitation. The eternal relationship that the Son has enjoyed with the Father from all eternity, he says, come. Come and taste some of this glory, some of this beauty. Come and enjoy what I've enjoyed from all eternity past, knowing the goodness and loving sovereignty of God the Father Almighty. And as we trust in him and are adopted into his family, we get to know God as Jesus knows God. 
and the unspeakable privilege of calling him Father. Let's pray together.